0: This episode of Oxel FM is a feature-length episode where we explore board gaming and some of the different types of board games that we think you should play with your friends and family. hello and welcome to another episode of octal FM I'm gelada and I'm Seron and today I'm very excited about this episode because today we are talking all about board gaming and when we say board gaming we're not talking about things like Scrabble and Monopoly we're talking about well, like how would you describe not those games Seth I mean, it's, it's difficult because they are board games
1: but those kind of... All the classic games, I guess, are just that. They're classic
0: games rather than board games, maybe you could say. I don't know. It's hard to describe. We're talking more sort of games with fairly sophisticated mechanics, maybe games that are in a particular setting or games that have a particular story, you know, that kind of thing, rather than something like Scrabble or Monopoly, where they're almost, almost like puzzle games in some way, particularly Scrabble. You know, we're not talking word games or, you know, things like Snakes and Ladders or anything like that. We're talking about games that have, yeah, complex mechanics, are for varying numbers of people and are all wildly different. You know, none of these games are, are, are truly alike. And I guess we're both fairly nerdy, as you may have already realised if you've listened to a few other episodes of Octal fm And board gaming often goes hand in hand with the kinds of things that we've discussed before. You know, things like video games and technology and stuff like that like board games tick that same box well at least for me they tick that same box
1: no they definitely do they're, they're, they're definitely in the same vein mm. and i think the only reason they don't have the same level of kind of i, I don't I, I guess subscriber you could almost say from the kind of nerd community as say video gaming or um kind of other kind of nerdy activities co- co- cover is the fact that it's a little bit more awkward to set up because you don't have the ease of doing it from a desk in your house or from the couch you know that kind of thing you kind of have to go out of your way to set up
0: playing a game i guess in a way they're kind of counter to that geeky sort of sat on your own thing like they're sort of that's what perhaps makes them a bit more of a challenge in that yeah. they are very social which social, and that's 100 and i think that's why they're they're gaining more popularity now because that kind of like geekiness and it being being interested in nerdy things, whether it's, like, particular TV shows or video games or comics or books or whatever, like, that's becoming much more, so more mainstream. Yeah, that, that, actually...
1: that stigma is, is now really, really losing its uh, its grip
0: on yeah, it. Yeah, very much so. Um, and so... And
1: I mean, the amount of people I talk to, just in general, who have played maybe one of these games that we're going to talk about, like, or have heard of them at least, shows that they're starting to gain a bit more of a foothold.
0: Definitely, definitely. I mean, I've, I've kind of got into board gaming i guess actually through um warhammer 40000s like back in the day i remember both of us we played a lot of warhammer 40000 mm. you know painting miniatures and stuff like that that was my intro into tabletop gaming if you like as a whole encompassing both miniatures and board games and that kind of thing what about you what was your sort of intro into the world i mean i had a, it was similar
1: to me in a way because like i said we i think we both started playing 40k around the same kind of time didn't we yeah definitely um but for me, I started playing board gaming kind of in a lot more, I don't want to say serious because it's, it's a game, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> a lot more hardcore when I started playing things like Yu-Gi-Oh! Magic, uh, kind of like trading card games. Mm. Um, like that was pretty much the bread and butter of my uh, my social life and my hobby for a good few years was playing these kind of card games in a local hobby shop. Shout-outs to Harlequins in Preston. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if any of these guys listen to it, you know, give a Maybe. Book. Yeah, I used to play uh, a lot of card games, and naturally one of the things that came from doing that when we were bored of playing the same kind of decks over and over again was do you want to chill out and play a board game? And because the, the hobby shop there has lots of kind of board games on offer to just kind of play for free in the store and you can buy copies yourself, we just kind of got into it. And then slowly over time, my my love for the board game developed completely independently of the card gaming. Mm. Uh, mm. And now it's something I still do, even though the card game is something I haven't done for many years.
0: Yeah, and I feel like board gaming is definitely your thing versus me. Um, It's something I'm interested in, but I definitely turn to you for advice about board games. And I think that's because, like you say, you've been in that environment where board games were commonly used as downtime, um, which I think is also quite a common theme as well in that sort of world of playing video games and, you know, going to events and stuff like that. Like board games and card games are often used as a nice social kind of downtime from other stuff.
1: They're a lot less intense a lot of the time Mm. uh, because a video game very often requires your complete attention at all times. Whereas board gaming, it can be paused at any moment pretty much, you know. So if you want to get up and get yourself a drink or, you know, just chat with your friends about whatever you're talking about, then it's not detrimental to the game itself.
0: Yeah, exactly. So for this episode, we've sort of chosen to focus on an introduction to various different types of board games as a whole rather than an in-depth look at, like, one particular game or one particular style, which is something that maybe we'll cover later. I think it's very interesting, and there are so many different board games and so many different types. And I think it is something that people are super interested in. When I told people that, oh, we're going to do an episode about board games, people were like, oh, yeah, that's so cool. Like, that's so interesting. Want to find out more um, about stuff. And also, we're going to talk about games that generally are for an older demographic. Like, as we kind of touched on before... These are games that have reasonable levels of complexity. You know, they often have a lot of mechanics. They're often very good to play with someone that has already played one before, um, because then that helps a lot with understanding the rules and you're not necessarily always consulting the rule book and, and the instructions and that kind of thing. And I think this is a point that you made that that's really interesting, is that these are often a lot more skill based, not in the sense of like it's a barrier to entry, but in the sense that. It's not. It's not just purely about luck. It's not always about just dice rolls and stuff like that. Like there is, ele- there is an element of that. But
1: every every good board game has to have an element of random luck in it because Definitely. that's how the game has longevity and mm. also balances that kind of skill curve to some extent for newer mm. to older players. But it's not like a game like Monopoly, for example, where pretty much everything depends on the roll of the dice. Obviously, the skill involved in the trading and your decisions you make, but th- you can't get out of that if you just get some badass rolls, you know, yeah, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't makes no difference, whereas a lot of these games we're talking about although luck is definitely an element into it the skill involved is about mitigating that luck very much a card gaming idea actually the idea yeah. of, of, say, deck building in a, in a card game like Yu-Gi-Oh! Magic is to mitigate that luck chance by building as consistent a deck as possible in these board games it's all about trying to make sure that you do the best you can despite the luck
0: so with all that in mind uh what would you say is the first type of board game that we should talk about
1: it's it's really hard to describe and sometimes it's it's almost impossible to categorize board games but i've tried to kind of do that here for of simplicities and intro's sake mm. uh, and i've gone for what i call like a standard board game so by that i mean a game that has like has an actual board because it's amazing how many board games don't have boards mm. and has like a few moving pieces and there's kind of like a, a short setup phase of it and then you, the game itself so the game i've chosen for that is a game called pandemic now it's probably one of the best known non-classic board games so oh. If you generate, if you're into board game even a little bit, it's one. That's one of the games that most people have heard of. Like it's mm. a very well-known game. It's incredibly successful. It was released originally in 2008. Um, it's had a lot of different editions of the game as well, as well as some um, expansion packs and spin-off games. It, it's it's absolutely taken kind of the board gaming community by storm on a more casual level than a lot of some of the more hardcore board games have.
0: I've definitely heard of it, but I know next to nothing about it. Well, let me tell you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I really love the game, especially as an intro to games that are based on co-op. So although if you play some of the expansions, there is an element of kind of like player versus player in it. The game is at its core a survival slash management co-op game. Okay. The idea is, and you can play between two to four people, but the game doesn't really work with anything other than four people. Oh, interesting. Um, It really is ideal to play with four people. And the game is designed around trying to save the world from four deadly diseases think like a zombie apocalypse plague and three other nasty th- you know, the clue, is, going around the clue is in the name exactly <laughs> a pandemic one could say and of course the fun is to name the different diseases in the game and you're tasked with saving the world by finding cures for these diseases but also at the same time trying to mitigate the spread of the diseases making sure too many people don't get infected researching them, that kind of thing so at the beginning of the game, each player takes on a role of a medical profession. But so the game's all about choosing and using your roles with synergy as much as possible with each okay. other. Yeah. So it absolutely 100% requires cooperation and communication between the players. So how do, you, how do you win a pandemic? So the game has only one way of winning, which is curing all four of the diseases in the game. But it has a lot of ways you can lose. (laughs) Um, And you can also crank up or turn down the difficulty of the game by changing the amount of times that the, the game can throw pandemics at you, the outbreaks at
0: you. Yeah. There's a lot of games like that where you can you can kind of like alter the rules slightly or they provide you like alternate information about how you can make things easier or harder, which is great for like introducing people or also for the longevity of a game to sort of crank up the difficulty as if you've got loads of people that have all played it before.
1: It it makes that game so much more appealing in the Mm -hmm. long run because after a while you do find kind of like the the most effective route as it were like the best strategy so you go well we'll take these four rolls because we know they'll work and we'll start in this location in the world and we'll go and do this first and then we'll win like Mm -hmm. and unless we get like monumentally unlucky with the card draws because there's like a deck of cards involved the chances are you're going to win but if you increase the difficulty all that changes because you might get an outbreak like within turn one rather Mm -hmm. than like turn four or five and you have a chance to set up properly
0: Mm -hmm. so where do you think these kind of standard board games fit in with the type of people that you should play them with? Or like
1: these kind of games I think definitely lend themselves to having one player that has already played the game. Or maybe just a bit more of a board game aficionado who kind of like can get the rules quicker. Because yeah. although it's a relatively simple game, it's one of those games where if everyone's brand new, you're gonna have to keep looking the book. How does this work? What happens when I do this? When do we do that thing? and there's there's quite a bit of interaction between some of the special cards you can get and your player abilities where if you're not sure how they work you're going to be like does this work? Oh we're not sure we have to read the rule book. So and that yeah, can kind of kill yeah. the flow of the game too like I have yeah. to constantly check the rule book.
0: It is not very fun. i'm also i'm also a slick stickler for rules and so i'm always like well i don't think it works like that even if it's your both. detriment in a co-op game you're like i don't think it works like that Let's yeah make it harder for ourselves. <laughs> you're just ruining it for everyone else um okay so that's so that's cool so we've sort of you know we've touched on those kind of like standard types of games the next the next one in your list talk to me more about miniature games um, and what you mean by that so miniature games
1: are sort of like the baby brother of the tabletop gaming so when they say that think of things like games workshop style games or war machine games things like that
0: so things like what we were talked about before warhammer 40 exactly think th- like things that, like
1: yeah. that but in this instance a lot of these are come in kind of board game style boxes uh, and can be played basically out of box so the one that i'm most familiar because they're not my style of board game i don't play a lot of them mm-hmm. so my knowledge is more limited but the one that I have played and the one I've exposed to the both would be the Star Wars X-Wing series. The game is obviously based on Star Wars. And the idea is, is that when you buy the core box, you you get a certain amount of ships, like little model ships, like very, very small, like no more than, say, a few centimetres long each. Uh, depending on the, the size of the shipping game like a fighter would be a lot smaller than obviously like a capital ship or something.
0: Sure yeah, yeah. they're like to, 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 miniature, to miniature scale. To miniature scale
1: exactly yeah and you can play it with a friend it's one on one it can't be more than one on one it's always a oh, okay. it, it's not like a co-op type thing either I guess you could hmm. play co-op with like two on two or something
0: but. You could like share the ships. Yeah exactly the guess, rules could
1: probably mm, be yeah. bent to make it work but the rules are designed to be one on one and you've got like one player will have like an X-Wing and one player will have like two TIE fights which is slightly weaker than the X-Wing and that's it But the more interesting part of it, it's almost sort of like a tabletop game mixed with a card game in that you can collect ships and pilots outside of the core game box. Mm. So you buy the core game and you get the, the rule set and some of the more basic stuff, but the manufacturers are constantly making new ships so like you know you name a ship in star wars so you know you got like you know the y wings and the b wings. yeah like a a y wing
0: or an a wing or you know one of those
1: exactly and they all come with like different stats different abilities and you can Mm -hmm. kind of customize your fleet how you want to have the you know work your fleet And you'll have, like, a points cost of how many things you're allowed to, like... And how powerful they're allowed to be within, like, whatever game you're playing. So that, like,
0: keeps it balanced. Like, you can't have, like, loads of uber ships. Exactly. Like,
1: Like, for example, if you want to have the Millennium Falcon, you can. But you're probably not going to have any other ship. Whereas if you want to have, say, a couple of X-Wings and a Y-Wing, you can. But you wouldn't be able to afford a Millennium Falcon, etc. Right, okay. So the, the reason I still call it a board game, even though it sounds a bit like a tabletop game, is because... A lot of this is out-of-box, so you can just buy the box and play it. There's no assembly mm. required in terms of painting or anything like that. They, they come mm. pre-done, and they're done very, very mm. well, actually. It's surprising how good quality they are, um, which is a big part of board game as well. Like, I, I am a stickler for the quality of a board game, like how yeah, definitely. nice I think it all looks.
0: Having a board game, because board games are expensive, right? So having board games where the quality of the stuff that you receive is really nice, like when you get like lots of things and they're all really well-made and like well-printed or well-manufactured, like that's a huge bonus
1: it it really is. And one of the things that I think is very important is looking after them as well. Like, for like in all games that have any form of cards in them, I'll always sleeve my cards because they're going to get damaged otherwise. And you always make sure you pack them away neatly and organize everything. So, But, yeah, the, the Star Wars game is quite well produced. Like, it, it really... They feel nice. They look nice. Obviously, they can't hold a candle to, you know, hand-crafted, hand-painted models like you know, from a Games Workshop kind of game that someone's, like, put, like, hours into one single model for or something. But they still look really nice. And it it still allows you then to just kind of, like, pick up the
0: game and play it. So it sounds like initially there's quite a small amount of stuff that you get with with these miniature games? Is that right? Like, do they need sort of, like, updating? Otherwise, it's very repetitive if you play it over and over again. Is that the kind of sort of vibe with this?
1: Yeah, they're less conducive to be able to just pull out and play with, say, a group of friends that may not pay, play board games before. Yeah. Well, especially if it's one-on-one. Exactly. <laughs> this kind of game, miniature games as a whole, particularly the Star Wars game, is more conducive to having a community of players. So, like, my exposure to it, for example, was in a hobby shop where you had lots of people playing concurrently, lots of one-on-one games going on, and then you Mm. can play different opponents and you can chat about things to different people and kind of, like, you know, mix up your strategy depending on who you're fighting and you know what kind of fleet they're going to be using, that kind of thing.
0: Mm. Mm, Sure. That's, I mean, in some ways it's kind of inherited that, right, from that proper tabletop like Warhammer and War Machine style games which are exactly the same Definitely. you can't just pick those up as a group of people and and you know with people that have never played them before no. that's very much a community game where you need either friends that you play with regularly or you need somewhere that you can go where you can you know you can play it over and over again and discuss things and stuff like that yes the upside to the miniature games that I'm talking about though I
1: here over the big you know, kind of big brother versions of the tabletop gaming is that even if you do want to just kind of play within a community that you don't necessarily know at the moment, it's still not impossible for you to just go in buy the core box and start playing there and then yeah, right? yeah. you're not, oh, I'm going to have to go home for several weeks and build my army and then reset yeah, how and, like, to glue it out them together exactly
0: <laughs> and paint them and everything and all the things that you have to do I guess you can buy them all on eBay I uh, mean, which if, is you, the if you are the Sultan of Brunei, then sure you know, <laughs> you can do that
1: um, <laughs> but most of us don't have that luxury yeah
0: very true very true um okay so we've kind of we've talked about um games that you can play as a group and then games that are better where you've got a group of people that already play it and are kind of involved in that sort of community um so going back to those kind of group games you've also mentioned games that you kind of describe as procedural so games where the board so to speak is kind of generated During the game, which is what gives it its variety, and is and is great for like one-off, where you like you're just going to play this game maybe once in the evening with a group of friends or something like that, Um, and they work really well as a one-off. It's almost like a storytelling kind of game. Uh, I really struggled to
1: classify it. The idea is in these sort of games where. Each playthrough feels a little different. You're not playing the same game. It's not like a game of chess, for example, is the same game every time, but the difference comes in your different approaches to how you decide to play. Yeah. Whereas in these kind of games, every game is slightly different. Like If it was a game of chess, you might be given like a, uh, only one pawn, but like a, a row of bishops, for example, this time around. So it changes up the rule set each time uh, a little bit. Not a lot so that you have to learn a new game every time, but to the point where it's still fresh and interesting.
0: It's often games where there are multiple scenarios as well, like where like there's a book maybe of different scenarios that happen during the game or like the game unfolds differently based on, you know, something random rather than a game where the rules are exactly the same every time you play Exactly, And it's the same board and it's the same set of stuff. And the variety is just how the game unfolds. Whereas with these, there is forced variety.
1: (laughs) There's a few of them. Um, But the Mm. one that I've decided to talk about, which is probably one, again, the classics that maybe people have already heard of, is uh, The Haunted House on the Hill.
0: Which was very popular at our last LAN, uh, where there was a good, (laughs) we had a good game of that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about board games as a whole on the podcast, was Mm. because of how well received it was. It's a really good game. It's a little simple in ways, but that makes it a fantastic entry point for people that are less kind of knowledgeable Mm. and experienced in board gaming. So, the game's been out for quite a while, it first came out in 2004, and it's had a couple of re-releases, which updated the rules and made things more balanced, because it was a little bit unplayable in its original form. And then, only just recently actually, this year, it's had a standalone release of an expansion pack, where you can play the expansion pack on its own, or you can mix it with the original game and play them together, you know. Which is one of the things that I've not mentioned so far is the board gaming community and manufacturers are always keen to release expansions mm. of things because you it know, makes them more money. But there's you can feel that sense of let's make more content that people are going to enjoy as well. There is a sense of the manufacturer part of the community a lot of the time. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Haunted House on the Hill is one that um, we've both played. Like I've played with you as well, and it, I, I agree. It's a great. It's a great first sort of game. Like the mechanics are fairly simple, but also the story that it tells when you play the game is great. And
1: I think the game has that wonderful mix of those two things in the way it's set up as well Mm. because the beginning part of the game is that bit where you can kind of start learning the rules and learning how to play the game and get a feel for it but in a safe environment because at the beginning of the game you start out, you are a group of either three to six explorers depending on how many players are playing and you have to explore a haunted house and that's where the procedural part of it comes in in that every time you go into a new room you draw a tile from the room stack and then you place it in the house. And you shuffle that room sack up every time, so it's always random. So, you know, the the kitchen might end up leading to the dining room in your first playthrough, but in the second playthrough, the kitchen will end up leading to the conservatory mm-hmm. next time. And it's always different every time. So you're walking through and you're finding things and you're triggering kind of, like, events by drawing event cards, which tell you to do things. Often that kind of creepy or eerie, because it's got that sort of, like, horror movie B-movie yes. trope esqueness yeah. to it
0: and also it's kind of cool because like the house moves around as well like because you're actually placing the bits of the house that can also be reset and changed and so like now you've got like a whole new set of rooms or the room you went into is no longer the room that you're you know like it's a different room going back out the same door and stuff like that
1: and then what happens halfway through the game is once enough of certain omens have been triggered which is a type of like card that you draw And you you do a dice roll and it says, like, the the haunt starts now. That's when the game changes to that story mode version, essentially, Mm. that you mentioned, where one player becomes the traitor. There's always a traitor amongst you, but the game chooses it at random by basically using, like, a little, like, table system where it says, well, what room was the haunt triggered in with what items are in play? and then you go along a little table in a book and it says, right, you're playing this one. So, for example, at The Land, when we played it, I think we played, like, Scenario 30, which was something to do with, like, an alien dimension or something. Oh, yeah, or like, yeah, that was it. The traitor was actually, like, an alien who wants to take you and the house into their dimension and, like, experiment on your weird alien <laughs> yeah. human bodies. But it could be different every time, and it, you don't know going into it that I, I was the traitor or you'd be the traitor at all. You don't know that until it happens. Mm. And at that point, the traitor leaves the room, literally goes away into another room and reads their book, while the other players, the survivors, read the survivor book. And this, like tells you what's happening in the in the game. It tells you what new special rules are going to be introduced and how you're going to win. But obviously the traitor has like a way he has to win as well. And you've got to try and be as secretive as possible about it to each other. Um, so that you can't you
0: know, give your kind of strategy away yeah so it sort of turns into kind of a team almost not a team-based game because it's kind of one person versus the others but it turns into a more competitive game like you said yeah. earlier it starts off very cooperative and then it kind of turns into this like one group of people against another person
1: yeah it becomes one of those like asymmetric start yes, games exactly uh, yeah. where the traitor is playing by a different rule set, rule set than the survivors are
0: I think procedural games are great for a group where you're going to have stories to tell afterwards, like you're going to remember the scenario, um, you're going to remember like what happened and there's always like funny things that happen in those kinds of games. They're very light, they're very sort of, you know, entertaining games um, for the scenarios and I think the writing of the game is is what makes that work.
1: It's cheesy enough
0: that yeah. it's fun but not like, so, okay, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I think Haunted House on the Hill does that really well. So it's interesting we're sort of oscillating here between kind of games that you can play with people that have maybe never played a game before, board game before um, and then games that are a bit more serious and that, you know, p- people take a bit more seriously. And you've told me before that deck-building games are some of your favourite games. So tell me why you particularly like deck-building games.
1: For me, I think it certainly harkens back to... Harkin, that's a good word for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> for the card gaming that I used to play, things like Magic the Gathering and Yu-Gi-Oh! I really like that element of, of making and constructing a deck and then using that to defeat your opponents. I love the fact that it's all customizable and you can go with a certain type of theme with it. I really, really enjoy that feeling of construction. So a deck building game allows you to kind of do the deck construction, which is half of the fun of playing a card game, in my opinion. Mm. In a very quick, small, controlled manner, are also keeping the balance of the game as well. Because one of the biggest problems with trading card games is, you know, card balance. Yeah. Um. or lack thereof in some instances. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I really like deck building games as well because of that exact reason. Like you, you, when you buy the game, it has all of the cards, or you are playing with all of the cards as a pair, or however many you're playing rather than something like Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh!, where, you know, if one person has tried a bit harder to collect a certain type of card or a or certain set of cards, or spent more money, exactly, then <laughs> they have an inherent advantage. It's like the pay... You know, those proper card games are the pay-to-win of, <laughs> of, they, of they this kind of world. They
1: absolutely are. And the more money you have, the easier it's going to be to win. Mm. You've got to be skilled, obviously, to be able to play mm. the game, but, I mean, if you go in having spent £10 against someone that spent £1,000, you ain't winning.
0: Yeah, exactly. So the deck-building game that you've 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 highlighted in particular is one that I also really, really like, so much so that we played it together and then I immediately bought it, um, (laughs) and that's Ascension.
1: Yeah, I think Ascension was the game that introduced me to deck-building first, Mm. and I've played countless other deck-building games since. And it's certainly not the most in-depth one, and it doesn't have as many features as some others do and it's a very quick game as well when you're playing with people that know how to play it but it's certainly one of the games that gets the deck building formula the most kind of precise and the cleanest almost Yeah. so it's a very simple game where it can be played between one and six players believe it or not you can play on your own <laughs> kind <know>, of like solitaire <laughs> yeah it pretty much is like a solitaire version of the game And you start off, much like a lot of debt-building games, with a very small standard deck that every player starts with. And with those cards, you can buy heroes or recruit heroes, or you can fight monsters. And they're your two resources, essentially. Runes, which is your buying power, and Fight, which is your your ability to battle. And then every time you uh, buy a hero, you add it to your deck. And every time you fight a monster, it'll have an effect to give you points. And the idea of the game is to create a deck which synergizes with itself to allow you to gain as many points as possible, but whilst not allowing your opponent to get the cards they want at the same time, because it is a competitive game. So it's that really wonderful balance between making your deck how you want it to be, but also making sure your opponent doesn't necessarily get the deck that they want
0: yeah definitely i think there's there's a lot of strategy in ascension you know around knowing the kinds of cards and the kinds of plays that you can make and the kind of ways that you can build your deck up and there's also some very well-defined strategies about like you can go down this particular route of particularly buying or acquiring these certain types of cards because they work together very well or You know going down this particular route when you're building your deck because that works well and you can kind of like pick and choose when you start playing you can kind of decide like oh i'm going to play you know this particular style this time or i'm going to you know build this particular deck Um, and i really like that about it like there's enough variety in the cards that it can be varied and different each time but at the same time you can also get familiar with it and i also really like something that you've mentioned on this on your notes which is that the games are quite quick you know, it's quite quick and snappy, especially once you've got used to it. Like, you can really work through it quite quickly.
1: Yeah. They're not, like, the some of the games that I've mentioned on this list do take a while to play. Like, mm. for example, uh, Haunted House on the Hill can take anywhere from 45 minutes to, like, two hours to yeah. play depending on how long certain aspects of the randomness of the game take. Whereas Ascension is, is like you say, it's quick and snappy. Uh, if both players know what they're doing, you can just do your turns really quickly. You don't have to explain too much, like, da 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 done, your turn.
0: And in some way that inherits from those other more traditional card games like Magic the Gathering and um, Yu-Gi-Oh!, where those are very similar. Like, you can play those very fast, when you know all the cards and you know the rules, yes, you, you know, know the effects already, and you, you know the meta have... game, which we've touched yes. on before in our in our RTS episode about mm-hmm. uh, meta gaming.
1: I mean, I, I used to play card games with a friend of mine, and we could play it silently. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we could just gesture at things, and we know what each other were going to do. Exactly.
0: I'm a surprisingly large fan of Ascension. Um, I really enjoyed it when we played it, uh, and I just waited until it kind of came down in price to be able to buy it, um, because it's a lot of fun. Now, something that I know nothing about that you've mentioned on your list is living card games. So what do you mean by living card games? Because we've talked about, like, deck-building games. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But what are living card games?
1: Living card games are kind of like the cousin of trading card games or collectible card Mm -hmm. games. There's a little bit of distinction there, but not a great deal. And the, the game I've listed on the notes here is the Game of Thrones living card game. Okay. But there's there's quite a few of them. And I have um, heard
0: of that. I have heard of the Game of Thrones card game.
1: Th- it's, I think that's one of the more well-known ones because of the, the IP, the Game of Thrones, like, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Everyone absolutely knows game monolith of Thrones, right? IP that it is. <laughs> but what, some of the other ones that are very, very popular, uh, and I'll probably have people being shouty if I don't mention it, it's things like Netrunner as well. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. I've totally heard of that. is yeah. Net- a really big, pr- uh, proper one, but I've not really played a lot of Netrunner, so that's why I wasn't going to discuss it as much because okay. I'm less of an authority on it. But a living card game varies from a traditional card game and it's also included as, for me, a board game to some extent because much like the miniature style of tabletop, go- of board gaming, sorry, not tabletop gaming. That's the whole point. It's the difference. <laughs> and is that you, when you buy a pack of cards... Like, be it the booster set or the core set, you get every copy of the card in the set. So imagine playing, say, Magic the Gathering, where there's like, you know, however many, like 150 cards in a, in a booster set. When you buy a booster, you get every single card, and you get maximum copies of that card that are playable. Yeah, yeah. You know, so if it was Magic the Gathering, you'd get four copies of every single card in the whole set. Mm. So the upside to that is that you're not randomly buying booster packs to try and get the card you
0: want. Or worse, spending a fortune, on you know, to buy a particular card.
1: Exactly. That's in the single side of things. Mm.
0: So the Living
1: Card Games gets around that
0: entirely by
1: basically going, here's the set, buy the set, you now own all the cards. Mm. You obviously, you spend a little bit more money, but your money's going to the publisher and they control how much they can charge rather than, a like a, you know, a single third party, you know, selling cards for ridiculous prices. Yes. And then one of the upsides to Living Card Games as well is is that they can be controlled quite nicely in terms of their rarity, so to speak, because mm. there isn't really a rarity. Yeah. Certain cards might be limited to how many copies you can run, but they'll always make sure that cards are balanced enough that you can kind of play any kind of combination of them.
0: So, otherwise, how do they play? Like, so you've, you've, you've mentioned that they're sort of, you get all of the cards, but, like, what do they play similar to other card games, or are they more like a board game, or, like, what, how does it kind of work?
1: The ones I've played, and I'm sure there is different examples of it, is they're more like board games. Okay. So the Game of Thrones one, for example, you can buy the core set, and it comes with enough cards in it for two people to play a game. Uh, essentially, it comes with two different decks or that you can make out with all the cards you get. Uh, I think it's like a Stark deck and a Lannister deck, I think. Mm-hmm. And then you sit down with one person having one deck, one person having the other deck, and you play against each other like in a more traditional card game style. But the reason I call it more of a board game is because, like I say, you you can play out of one box. Mm. So if two players have never played the game before, you just buy a box between the two of you, or one of you buys it, whatever, and then you can start playing. But then that's where the comparison towards the miniature kind of games comes in that you can bring your own deck with you to play that game. So, yeah. you know, if I want to, like, make, say, a, 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 a solo I don't know a Targaryen deck I can do that and I can just buy the packs I want with the cards in it that I have and I make a Targaryen deck and I can go and play someone that only owns the core sets
0: I get you okay yeah
1: that makes sense and then the game plays like a board game in the way it kind of like is laid out too Game of Thrones is pretty complicated and I really (laughs) wouldn't recommend two brand new players playing it Because there's a, you probably best try and be introduced to it by someone that's already played it. Because there's a lot of keywords, there's a lot of abilities. There's, if I remember rightly, there's seven phases per turn. Whoa. Yeah, and they're not like kind of little phases like say in Yu Gi Oh or Magic where you've got like the draw phase, the upkeep phase, the standby phase or Which is like we are in that phase now. We're not in that phase. Each phase has something you need to do. So like you've got to decide on a plot. On how, you know, And that plot kind of determines an ability you'll have for the turn. Mm. Then you've got to, like, muster your troops. And then you've got to uh, attack with each other's troops. Then you've got to work out the effects of their attacks. And then you've got to work out the cost of everything. Yeah, it's... There's a lot going on, basically. Yes. Like, <laughs> but better. that does lead to a lot of strategy, too. Mm. Like, there's a lot of variation between the the houses, the factions you can play as, all, all the different houses of Westeros. And each card can only use certain abilities against other cards. So, for example, uh, maybe you're playing like a Stark deck, then you're pretty good at military. Like, a lot of your cards, you know, are very good at physically fighting, you know, because that's what they're quite good at. They're quite hardy people. But if you're trying to fight a Lannister deck, say, for example, they might only be using, say, Intrigue Attacks. And you can't defend against Intrigue Attacks because a lot of your characters don't have the Intrigue skill. So they can attack you openly and do, like, lots of damage and gain lots of points that you can't do anything about because it's not your style. But then you can do the same back to them in military force because maybe they don't have as much military as you do.
0: Mm, okay, cool. So there's a lot of, like, you know, rock, paper, scissors, like, countering style to yeah. the play. That's interesting. Okay, cool. Nice. Interesting. Uh,
1: and there's lots of living car games, like I said. And I like living car games in the sense that it allows for a nice play... Nice, fair open playing field Mm. unlike say more traditional card games which is why maybe there's not as much call for them because like manufacturers realize there's not much money there than to sell endless amounts of booster bags
0: yeah exactly like it's like once you it's like other board games right like once you've bought it that's it kind of thing exactly they lose out on that side of things that's really
1: interesting but they're always doing more expansions they'll always release new versions of cards and you know another set that'll have like a different version of the same character so for example they'll have like three different versions of ned stark for example yeah that all do different things
0: okay interesting so we've talked a lot about you know like traditional games we've talked about games involving cards we've talked about games involving miniatures but what about games that are more social like games that kind of bridge that gap a little bit between for want of a better word, like drinking games. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, no, that's a good. It's good. I think that's a really games, good way of doing it. And right? Like there's, a, there's something in the middle there. And you've given a really great example of a game that's in the middle there. Um, so talk to us about One Night Werewolf.
1: Ah, well, there's lots of different versions of it. And I'm not going to pretend to know all the
0: history. <laughs> because I was doing
1: some research before the show and... <laughs> it dates back to like the mid 80s. Oh wow. Like, okay. It's it's based on a game that's based on a game that's based on a concept and so I'm <laughs> I'm not going to pretend like I know it all and I'm just going to talk about the game that I've played most which is One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Which okay. Is this one version of the game that was released in 2008. But there's lots of games just like it. And to the extent you can say it's not a board game mm-hmm. because there really isn't any moving parts to to it. There is some little cards that represent what role you're going to be for the game and that's it other than a rule book. But the reason I kind of call it a board game is because you have to have a collection of players to play it. You play it out of one box and then there's a rule set and you sit down and you play a session of this game and then you can play another game if you want. Mm. Uh, and even though it may not be technically a board game, oh, it's so much fun. It's so <laughs> much fun to play with a group of players, even if you don't know some of them. Like, the amount of times we just invited random people to, like, our gaming group. You can you can include people because it kind of... The game forces interaction. So I'll quickly describe the game because it's, it's probably easier to describe the game than we can talk about it. So in the game, you are assigned a random role by giving you these, one of these little cards. Uh, and you're either a, a werewolf... Or a villager, or you're on the side of the werewolves. There are some examples of that. And essentially, the game devolves into the villagers win if they can kill a werewolf, and the werewolves win if no werewolves die. You don't have to kill a villager to make that make that happen. Okay. But the kind of the trick of the game comes in that no one else knows your role, so you get to look at your role. You put it face down, and that's it. You don't look. You don't even look at that card again. You're not allowed to look at your card anymore, and no one else can know what your role is. Mm-hmm. Like otherwise, you kind of ruin the game. Mm -hmm. And then you enter a night phase where everyone has an ability, or most people, sometimes you won't get an ability or just be like a bog-standard villager, but that can be used to your advantage too. And then everyone has an effect. So, for example, the first thing that will happen usually is the werewolves will open their eyes where everyone else's eyes are closed so they can identify each other. So the werewolves know who the other werewolves are, but the rest of the players who are the villagers don't know who they are. And then the villagers will have abilities like they can look at other people's cards, or they can swap cards around, or they can make it so that their card is protected, that kind of thing. And then after all those abilities are done, you go to the day phase, everyone opens their eyes, and that's kind of it. Then it's just go for ten minutes, and there's no rules, so to speak, other than don't tell your role for sure i like don't reveal your role because that would spoil the game <laughs> that would ruin but it otherwise it's it's a case of just arguing and debating and often shouting at each other um about trying to decide who a werewolf is
0: okay i get you so it's very like it's quite loose in some ways in that there's yeah. sort of there are some rules and there are some structure that you need to follow but otherwise you kind of like make up your own process so to speak or you kind of it kind of like descends into a, into something
1: it always descends uh, into chaos very quickly like especially <laughs> once you've maybe played a couple of games and you're more comfortable with the people you're playing with everyone starts to kind of get a feel for how each other's going to react like mm-hmm. we had a particular guy in our group who when we used to play together quite often who would always just play the I'm a werewolf just kill me Kind of card, like he'd automatically kind of play the double bluff card. Yeah, yeah. And then one player would always be the really, really talkative one. Often me. Um, and they're like, Don't, <laughs> "Don't trust Seth; he's lying." I'm like, no, "I'm not lying. I promise." <laughs> Even when I wasn't genuinely lying, and I was trying to just help. The game encourages that social interaction because after that ten minutes worth of discussion, you have to decide who to kill, essentially who to execute in this village. Um, if you ever played the the online game Town of Salem. It's basically that in okay. board game form. Fair Go enough. and check that out if you've not. You can play it online for free. Uh, you can either play on yeah uh, you know, with people or on your own.
0: I'll make sure to put it on the show notes. What's it called? It's a really fun game,
1: actually. Town of Salem, as in like the, the witch hunters find things. And then everyone gets a vote. You can vote for anybody. You can't vote for yourself and you can abstain if you want to. Whoever gets the most votes is the person that's then executed. That player then reveals their role. So if the villagers have said, yes, I think, you know, you, Gelada, are a, a werewolf, we all vote to kill you. And you then flip over your card and say, actually, no, I've told you I was a villager, then the werewolves like, ha, we've won, we've ducked you. Uh yeah, yeah. And then yeah, that's that's the end of the game. And you can play again. There are you can change the roles up, there's enough roles that you don't have to use the same roles every time. Uh, and it all comes down to like bluffing and social manipulation.
0: So we've really covered a very, a very wide breadth of, of games, everything from like those, those miniature games and those, you know, games where there are a lot of rules, a lot of processes, games that take a very long time, to games that really are are super loose and they're almost just an idea um, of, of, of like how to play. And then they devolve into something (laughs) that's, that's entertaining. (laughs) You've also got a list of like honorable mentions here of games that you think are worth mentioning, particularly if people are listening to this. They are interested in pl- trying out some of these games, but they want like a wider variety of games maybe to, to look into themselves, to find something that has a particular theme that appeals to them. Yeah, for sure. So
1: if there's any of the kind of categories that I brought up that you think sounded interesting, but the game itself wasn't really your cup of tea, then these are some of the other examples of those types of games. And honestly, it breaks my heart to not talk about some of these. <laughs> so some of the sounded games... The like a very more traditional board gaming I've got down as Catan which a lot of people already have played and they know about
0: that yeah that's been around for a very long time right like, yeah it's an old
1: Catan's game and it's a classic you know it's yeah. one of those which is kind of reinvented occasionally in different mm. kind of ways but
0: y- y- it always boils back down to the old version I think Catan must be one of those one of the most common introductions to this more like broad world of board gaming from things like Monopoly and stuff like that. 100% it is. It's it's that bridge. It really is that bridge between
1: the old traditional style board games like Monopoly and Scrabble and Cluedo and the kind of games we've just been talking about. Mm. Uh, Then there's Carcassonne, which again is kind of very similar kind of uh, genre of bridge. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's one of my favorite games,
0: actually. I I really like Carcassonne. Um, It's a lot of fun. And then I've got something which is a little more um,
1: lesser known, but still very, very popular, is Ticket to Ride. Yes, I love Ticket to Ride. Which is a very, very fun game and can cause some super heated arguments. Yes,
0: (laughs) every time I've played Ticket to Ride, there has been an argument. (laughs) Then
1: on the miniature side of things, I've gone for... Uh, basically, a clone of X-Wing, which was Star Trek Attack Wing. Very, okay. very much similar kind of idea, but instead of it being Star Wars, it's Star Trek, and you have like more kind of pilot options. You can have like crew options as well, where you have like different oh, nice. members of the TV show and stuff like that show up. Then there's the Dice Masters games, which are sort of miniatures, but in a a sense that you don't use figures, you use dice as your units. I won't go into too much detail, but it is quite a cool idea. Like, there's the Marvel one, which is the one I've played, uh, Mm -hmm. where, like, every dice represents a type of hero. Uh, And then there's, like, the smaller Games Workshop games, things like Kill Team, I think it is. I think it's called Kill Team. Then you've got, like, Procedural, like we are talking about the House of the Hill. Uh, and then ones that I brought up are Dead of Winter, which I think you mentioned
0: yes. during our pre-notes. I've had so many people say like, oh, you know, I want to play Dead of Winter or I've played Dead of Winter. You know, that seems to have like be one that people know they recognize. Much like we talked about Pandemic, where Pandemic is like the a board game that people just recognize yeah, the name of. Yeah, it's
1: one of the kind of popular ones that... Everyone sort of already heard of it's yeah. less. It's a lot less niche. Yeah, exactly. And then another one for me would be XCOM, which is one of my favourite PC games of all time. And the middle all game. Anime. We all know from that previous episode with the RTS. <laughs> oh yes. And that's a really fun one. Interestingly with that one is that it has to be played with a companion app on a phone or tablet.
0: Oh, cool. So that's kind of now like moving into that world, you know, that sort of technology world where you've got like other stuff going on at the same time as the board game itself. That's really cool.
1: And then on the debt building side of things, again, whole episode to just some of these on their own. There's the legendary series of games, particularly for me, it would be uh, Marvel Legendary Heroes which is all about like recruiting different Marvel heroes like Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and stuff mm. into a deck like we were talking about in Ascension and then having them to fight the minions and the masterminds of the Marvel Universe like mm. like the Red Skull and Loki and things like that. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and then there's like, Blood Bowl Team Manager, which is a bit of a different style of deck building game where you build a deck for a team on a Blood Bowl game like mm-hmm. the, the American football style Games Workshop game Mm. Uh, and you can kind of like recruit star players and you have to commit certain players to certain matches and they all have different abilities and it's it's a really really fun game for kind of like a lighter deck building element to it but with lots of strategy involved
0: Cool, cool.
1: And then Living Card Games, I uh, already mentioned it, to be honest with you, was Netrunner, yeah. um, which is huge. It's very popular, very competitive as well. There's a huge Netrunner competitive scene, mm-hmm, okay. which I know not a great deal amount about, which is why I didn't really mention it in the main episode. And then a social side of things are games a bit like Werewolf, which is like Avalon and Resistance, basically the same as each other, but they're kind of like reskins. One's based in like a dystopian style cyberpunk future, I get, you, and yeah. one set in like an Archer, Arthurian Arthurian Le- legend, where you like you're one's in Merlin and one of them's like Mordred and things like that. Mm. And then another one, which I I, I kind of wanted to talk about in the main episode, was Incognito. This mm-hmm. is a really interesting one where you're playing as four spies representing a like a, a vested interested party in the streets and waterways of Venice mm-hmm. and you have a a partner amongst the other three players but you don't know who your partner is so you have to ask very subtle questions between all three players to work out who your partner is and then work mm-hmm. out what your mission is between you cuz only you only have half of your mission whereas your partner has the other half yeah so you've got to work out
0: who that person is subtly without giving it away. You know what that reminds me of? It's made me think of, like, talking about social games and things like that. It's like things like murder mysteries and yeah, stuff like that. Like, yeah, there's definitely. there's some crossover there with those kinds of games. It's really interesting.
1: And I think that would be kind of, this is a kind of condensed version of those murder mysteries. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, that's really that, cool. that,
1: That's definitely my mo- honorable mentions and i'm remiss to uh, to talk about them i'm sure if you're into board gaming i've not mentioned some of your favorites i'm really sorry i'm <laughs> not an, uh, uh, you know i'm not an official at every board game ever like there are so
0: many and there yeah. are so many
1: fantastic ones as well if i missed them i'm sorry but you know
0: we've already covered so many board games just in this in one episode um so i think that's you know If you were looking for some ideas for your next board game with your group of friends, then you've definitely now got a lot to choose from. But if there's some in particular that you like the sound of, uh, like maybe you were really interested in those deck building games like Ascension, um, or maybe you were super interested to hear more about the procedural games like Haunted House on the Hill and Dead of Winter, then, you know, let us know. I think Seth could probably talk forever. (laughs) <laughs> about board games, which is great because that's, that's great for uh, episode content. And also I think it, it does have a really broad appeal as we touched on at the start of the episode. You know, board games are becoming so so popular now.
1: And I think it just
0: requires that a very initial introduction yeah i think board games benefit so well from that compared to things like video games where you can read reviews and you can just kind of get into them by buying them i think board games do need some you need some personal assistance to kind of get you started so we hope that that we are that personal assistance that makes you go yeah actually yeah that sounds really awesome i'm definitely going to pick up like the game of thrones card game because that sounds exactly like what i want to be playing And then the only other thing I could recommend as
1: well, if it has piqued your interest, but you don't really have many friends that might be interested in it, like, you're just not there kind of thing, if you've got a hobby shop local to you in your city or your town, go to your hobby shop. Definitely, That is the place to learn about games and to play games with people you haven't known and meet brand new friends. I met so many friends through playing card games and board games Mm. um, in my local hobby shop in Preston.
0: Yeah, also, if you you live in a reasonably sort of metropolitan um, city, there are a lot of places in London I know now that are like kind of gaming bars that also cover board games. Like there's a lot of board gaming bars where you can turn up and they'll have like a massive just... Wall of board games, and you can pick one down and play it with some friends, or maybe play it with someone that's there. You know, the staff will help you and stuff like that. So, do check out those kinds of places as well. There's one of those in Preston as well, which is less of a bar. It's called the uh, Dyson
1: Donuts, and their kind of idea is that it's like a casual place you can go and have a cup of coffee and you can rent a board game if you'd like to play with some friends, or you can like, you know, bring ones that you've already got, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. If there's something specific you'd like us to talk about a bit more, then let us know. You can email us, as always, at show at octal.fm. And you can message us on Twitter, if your request is very short, at octal.fm. And, of course, you can go back and listen to previous episodes. In particular, if you're interested in video games, then our episodes about real-time strategy games and land games will be right up your alley. Um, So do give those a listen, and they're on octal.fm. Cool. I've been Gelada, and thank you so much, Seferin, for all of your information about board games.
1: No, thank you for letting me uh, gush about something again that I'm very passionate about. Super interesting.
0: Um, and no doubt we'll be hearing you talk more about board games in the future. So, yeah, catch us again for another episode of FM soon. See you later, bud. I will definitely link to uh the photo of the recording setup for this episode which is which is hilarious
1: i'm hardcore man <laughs> absolutely
0: how do you spell macgyver <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i love the microphone suspended from the ceiling that's you know that's like it's practically a studio.
1: Do you know what the microphone's suspended by, actually? Yeah, ca-
0: did you say cable ties?
1: It's not cable ties. Oh, I, not cable I, I was just quickly saying it to try <laughs> and, like, make it easy to, to understand. It's actually a sandwich bag, a plastic sandwich bag. <laughs> uh, and it, it's got the uh, little handles tied around the uh, the base of it, and then I've tied the bag itself around, like, the shelving above me, and then hung it down. <laughs>
0: Well, that's, that's, that, this is my turn to phone it in. I've, I've yeah, been exactly. looking forward to that. I've been like, oh, recording the episode. Oh, I oh, better make sure I'm prepared. Oh, wait. And <laughs> not my turn. Just, just lean back. Okay. Ooh, yeah.
1: All by myself. Don't wanna be all by myself anymore. I would sing the rest of it, but I don't know the rest of the lyrics.